Hey friends, I'm Jenny Meyer, and you're listening to the Rooted Truth Podcast, where we look at the world through a biblical lens. We talk about real life, biblical truth, and how to walk with Jesus through it all. Be sure to follow me on social at Jenny Meyer and at The Rooted Truth. Also, be sure to subscribe to the members-only, all-exclusive episodes on the Rooted Truth Podcast by going to www.therootedtruth.com. Now let's get started. Matthew 24. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures till the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then the... Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house and let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes, but woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days and pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath for then there shall be a great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would, would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or there, do not believe it for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner rooms. Do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so shall be the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they shall see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory and he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other that is matthew 24 verse 1 through 31. 
Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I am excited. You guys are going to love this episode. I have David Wilcoxon back with me. If you remember, goodness, David, was it? It was sometime last year, right? When when yeah. did we do that? Yeah, the end it's time been a while. It's been, I don't know if it's close to a year. Wow. Somewhere there, nine months, somewhere. Yeah, time flies. So I am so <laughs> excited to have you back. And we're going to be talking about the All of It Discourse today, um, Matthew 24, for those of you who don't know what the All of It Discourse is. Um, so David, do you want to introduce yourself to those maybe who didn't hear our first episode that we did? Yeah, sure. I mean, I haven't been to cemetery or seminary. I mean, sorry. <laughs> Just kidding. It's, <laughs> That's it's, my, it's my inside joke is you're really people that have been to seminary and Bible college have a disadvantage because they've been taught futuristic explanations. So luckily I haven't been there. So just an average guy who a dozen or so years ago started to pray about it, wanted to know what was going on because there's so much going on in the world. And I'm like, how does this fit in Bible prophecy? And so I prayed about it. And the first prophecy I was shown was, was the seventh week of Daniel. And once I got that, once I got that, it was about Messiah coming to die for our sins to confirm the everlasting covenant. So those who believe by faith are saved. And I'm like, well, that means it's not about the end times for the Antichrist. And that's a really, really big deal. And I got to share this with others. And so that started my journey. And since then, and I have websites on the Seventh of Daniel, the Olivet Discourse, Revelation. I've written books about all three of those topics. Um, I do video series on those topics, which I put out in audio podcast for, uh, format. So kind of amazes me to look back over the last 12 years and don't really comprehend how all that got done through me, but here I am. And, you know, I know I have, I knew a dozen years ago, I had a calling yeah. to share, you know, it wasn't just for me. I was like, I got to share this because these people need to know this truth. So, yeah. um, but you know, and a preface is, I always try to preface this is like, cause people go, Oh, well, you know, sometimes they think, well, do you think you're just this special person who knows all this stuff? And it's all opposed to what everybody else teaches us. And you're just this anointed blessed one. And that's not it at all. Uh, because, when you study history, you see that the theologians from, you know, you can see the early church fathers and up until about the 19th century, they all taught the historical explanations, right? So they taught that Revelation has been in the process of being fulfilled since it was written. 73 was what about, was about Messiah. All of that discourse was about the time of trouble for the Jewish nation. So it's only during the last 100 or 200 years that the false deceptions have come in. And so the enemy has been very effective. So I'm trying to reverse that to help people see what the great theologians taught so they can see the truth. I love it. I mean, your books have helped me understand so much and makes me want to dive in more so to scripture for myself and pray about it. Um, and it's just been really eye opening. So, I mean, God is definitely using you and a lot of people that I believe the veil is being removed from their eyes right now. And especially, I mean, your revelation didn't your revelation decoded book come out in 2020 yeah i think that's right like of all times like think about it like <laughs> but you know what the blessing of that was is because the previous two books were six months about four I got, all three books came out in about a year it's already had the basic work done it was yeah. just a matter of refining it for a book but when you think about just what you said then all these people got all sorts of time to study yeah. during 2020 and so it was a time where people were on google and youtube finding truth and i pray for people all the time those who are seeking for truth i'm praying for it i pray you put the websites the studies the videos the audios in their path so they can see it so like 2020 the agenda of 2020 kind of opened that door 
<laughs> it, it absolutely did. So you talked a little bit about like the historical view of, of the Olivet Discourse, 70th week of Daniel. So we're taught in what 90% of churches in the United States, this futuristic view. And we did talk a lot about that um, on the last episode that we did. And if you're listening, I will link that previous episode in the show notes of this one. So if you want to go back and listen, but we talked a lot about that um, at that point, but just real briefly, do you want to kind of give us a reminder of where did this futuristic end time view come from? Well, and, and it gets into the explanation of revelation and stuff too, but Basically, what it was is in the so so the saints all taught the same thing. They taught the historical view of Revelation that it's been in the process of being fulfilled since the first century, but then comes this and, and, and so during the Dark Ages, um, the popes of Rome were banning and burning the scriptures, and they were killing the people who possessed them, and they were killing Messiah's saints, and so millions of people were killed by the Roman Catholic Church, and so when we get to the 16th century. And Martin Luther posted his 95 thesis, which kind of woke people up to say, hey, hey, look, the Roman Catholic Church is teaching concepts which are contrary to scripture and, and, and really wicked when you look at it. Um, all the great, all the uh, Protestant reformers were teaching, proclaiming, witnessing that the popes of Rome, the office of the papacy, fulfilled Bible prophecy as the little horn of Daniel, the son of perdition, the man of sin of 2 Thessalonians 2, the Antichrist beast of Revelation, who teach, who leads the harlot church of Rome, right? So they're all proclaiming the same thing. They're proclaiming the gospel, and millions of Catholics got saved because for the first time, they were hearing the gospel because they were not hearing it from the popes and the priests of the Catholic church. So the pope had to empower the Jesuit priests to counter the Reformation. And so one way you did that was through persecution by killing the saints, Right. The other way you did that was to have Jesuit priests write study, write commentaries that basically said, um, then and, and, and the foundation is on the 70th week of Daniel. So basically what they did is they pulled that 70th week out apart from the 69th week, projected it into the last seven years of, of, of the end times and said that the one man Antichrist will rise the power, you know, after an Israel peace agreement for seven years, you know, rise the power at the midpoint and enter the temple and proclaim to be God. And they built this whole narrative to say, no, no, the Antichrist is not the Pope of Rome. It's this one guy in the end times. And so that's where it started from the 16th century. But nobody really bought into it except for Catholics. But the Protestant reformers knew better and they were proclaiming it. But the Jesuits are a patient bunch. And over the, they waited 100 years, 200 years, and through different people like Schofield, Darby, all those people, they finally got their futuristic deceptions to take hold. And one of the primary places they did that was from Dallas Theological Seminary, because Schofield taught Lewis Perry Schaefer, who helped co-found Dallas Theological. And so from that esteemed college come these explanations about it's mostly about the end times. So it's just become, like you said, 90% of people believe in the futuristic explanations, but that's not what the saints believed for 1800 years. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's... I mean, when, when someone is presented with this, you have to literally let the Holy spirit guide you in this, because it is hard to break through that cognitive dissonance. I was having the conversation with my mom a few days ago and just slowly kind of like dropping stuff that I have over the past couple of years. Um, but you know, she was really struggling like, well, no, this, you know, that's the seven year tribulation and this, all this stuff, like, I'm like, 
okay, let's start at the beginning. You know, I'm going to send you some books to read. Um, and, and it's difficult, but I love the, the majority of the listeners of this podcast are open to that and do seek truth through the scriptures, through letting scripture interpret scripture, praying about it, not just taking what anyone has to say for it. Um, they, they seek it out with God on their own, which I love. Um, but it is difficult. So if you're listening to this right now and you find it difficult to even like go there of like, okay, well, the abomination of desolation is, has already happened. You guys, we're not waiting for this temple to be built for this one man antichrist. Um, take it to the Lord, pray about it and ask him to open your eyes because he will. Um, he absolutely will. So David, what, if someone doesn't know what the all of it discourse is, what is it? Just real briefly. Uh, well, I mean, the context of the all of that discourse, you can read Matthew 23. And in Matthew 23, what you're going to see um, is Messiah rebuking the Jews, casting woe after woe upon them. And, and the reason is, is because they were in rebellion against the Heavenly Father. And they were, since the, since the start of his ministry, so for about three years now, at this point when he gave the, the, the speech to them, they had been trying to kill him. Like it, you read the gospels and it always says they're trying to kill him. And, and um, so he rebuked them and then he basically put upon them. You are the, you can, you confess that you are the, the, the sons of the fathers who killed the prophets. And he's basically projecting on them. You're going to do the same thing. And he said, woe unto you. And he said that the judgment is coming upon you because you continue in the way of your fathers and killing the prophets sent to them. And he's pointing to his death which they caused. And he's pointing to them persecuting his disciples. Um, he's saying judgment's coming upon you in that generation, right? So that's Matthew 23. So that's the total context. Too many people don't focus on that. They just focus on 24. But I mean, in 23, he just said that. So that's a bookend for me. So what that means is at the end, towards the end of the, the Olivet Discourse, the part that's about the first century, he says the same things. All these things will take place in this generation. So back it up. He just said the Jews are because they're so wicked and they're going to deliver him up to be killed and persecute his disciples. That judgment's coming upon them in that generation. Well, what does that mean? Judgment. I mean, it, it means probably if history serves well, right? Uh, Assyrians, Babylonians had been sent against the house of Israel, house of Judah. That's what he's talking about. An army is going to be sent against you. And so then he walks out of the temple and the disciples look back and he says, they're like pointing out how glorious the temple was because Herod built it up and it was a glorious, glorious temple. And um, he said, I assure you, all these things are going to be, you know, destroyed with not one stone upon another. And so they asked him, well, tell us about these things because they can't even comprehend this. Tell, you just said yeah. the Jewish yeah. nation is going to be judged. You just said that temple is going to be destroyed. Tell us about those things. So that's the context. Um, yeah. That's yeah. it. And, 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 the, and, you know, I try to bottom line things for people. If you keep it as simple as that, and you just point out what Messiah said, the judgment's coming upon you in this generation, the temple is going to be destroyed. Like an easy way to help them, like open their eyes, go, did Jerusalem and the temple and the Jewish nation get destroyed in that generation? It's a yes or no question, mm -hmm. you know, because you're trying to appeal the logic of people. And so you're, you're just trying to get them to think and maybe go, have an aha moment. And they go, well, yeah, it was. So you're right. Judgment came on them. You're right. What Messiah said, the temple being destroyed did happen in that generation. Maybe it opens a door. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So 
let's break down this chapter. Um, <laughs> we're going to try to to keep this under an hour. Um, and I, cause I don't want to keep your time, David, but I want to break this down because it's just basically as simple as we can, um, for people who maybe don't have their Bible in front of them. Maybe they don't have your book yet. If you guys, um, listen to this, you need to go grab the, all of it discourse decoded and, um, David, I'll have you share your website and stuff at the end so they can go snag that, but let's break this down. We're going to start with verse one and two. So again, like you said, like there he's doing the woe judgments, you know, on the Pharisees, the Jews. So, um, verse one and two, then Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. And I'm reading from the new King James version. Um, so David first two verses. <laughs> well, and always forever context is everything. And so when you back up to the 70 weeks of Daniel 9 prophecy, the whole prophecy is about you're going to be released from Babylon to go rebuild the city. And that included the temple. And so that made Daniel obviously thrilled. That's a good answer. Right. And that's to prepare the way for Messiah. But then when you get to Daniel 9:26, so it's only four verses long, Daniel 9, 24 to 27, yeah. Daniel 9, 26. What does it say? It says the temple, the people of the prince. Uh, to come will destroy the temple and city. So think about that. Daniel just got told that, that you're going to be empowered to go rebuild it. Two verses later, he's told that it's going to be destroyed. That's a really, really bad judgment because the context of Daniel 9 is that we're in rebellion and we deserve the curse of the Mosaic covenant upon us if we don't turn away from our ways, right? So, so, so if he's being told the city and temple are going to be destroyed, he's saying that's the curse of, of the Mosaic covenant. Right. And so so that points to it being destroyed. And why would it be destroyed? Because it says the Messiah was cut off and the word cut off means by a violent death. So the Jews rejected the promised son, delivered him up to be crucified, which is a violent, painful death. And so that's their punishment. Their punishment was the city and temple would be destroyed. So now you match it up with Matthew 23, right? Yep. Here you are persecuting Messiah. You know, you're going to kill him. And then your punishment is that your temple and city are going to be destroyed. So Messiah is actually pointing back to the seventh week of Daniel. He's pointing back and saying, you know, all these things match up. And so it, it was already foreordained. Yeah. You know, that, that the Jewish leaders would be punished because of their sin. And he's basically like, he's prophesying that the temple will be destroyed. and little side note here. I did not realize because I've probably never really thought about it, but the wailing wall is not like remnant of the temple. Jesus said, not one stone will be left upon another. Right. And so, I mean, when I got to that part in your book, I'm like, wow, like that is right in front <laughs> of our eyes, but we don't even think about it. Like, you right. know, we're, we're told that it's like the, the um, remnants of the temple, but wait a second. Jesus didn't say that. He didn't say, you know, there'll be some left. No, not one stone left upon another. But that's a little side right. note. So, so in the book and on the website that, that you'll see that that was the that was the mount of uh, Roman Antonia Fortress. So that was north of where the temple used to be. They had the mount there so they could keep an eye on the temple. So if there was a rebellion, if there was a problem, they could rush down and and address it. And, and so what the Jews today are praying to is the Roman wall of their desolation it's a continual reminder of the desolation and so so titus when he destroyed 
Jerusalem. And he basically, because of the wickedness of the Jews, he commanded that the whole thing be destroyed. He wanted to preserve it. He was a peaceable man because they were so wicked. He commanded that it be destroyed and then uh, plowed over. And the only thing they kept was that wall so that it was a monument of their power and authority. Everything else is gone. Right. So. So, yeah, they're praying to a Roman wall. Wow. Wow. Let that sink in. Right. Like, um, okay. Moving on verse three. Now, (laughs) as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So I think this is a pretty big verse that people then point to a futuristic. It is. And so what's really interesting and the reason we need to pay attention to all the gospels is because they give the whole picture. So what that means is that Matthew is the only one who at the end says, and of, and, and of the end of the world. So in other words, he just told them, judgment's coming on the Jewish nation. The temple's going to be destroyed. Tell us when these things shall be. So, so what's these things, right? It's obviously the temple being destroyed. It's not about the end times. It's not about anything. It's about the temple being destroyed. And what's the major sign that we know this is about to take place? And that's the abomination of desolation. But Mark 13 and Luke 21 recorded the Olivet Discourse, and they don't include the last part that says, in of the end of the world, which is fascinating. So when you do the study, and I covered in the book and the videos, Luke assigns that question to Messiah's reply to the Pharisees when they asked him about the kingdom of God in Luke 17. So that's a totally different context. So Matthew seems to have grouped it together, you know, but Luke has it separate. So it's not even part of the original question, if you will. Mm -hmm. You'll see that like, as in the days of Noah, you'll see that on the end of Matthew 24, but it's in, it's in Luke 17, part of a different speech. So he wasn't even talking about that. Luke got gathered or Luke separated them out, which I think is the proper interpretation. Yeah. Which that really helped me in understanding it. Um, where the ones, ones in the field, ones taken, ones left all of that. It was a completely different setting that Jesus was talking to them. in. um, so we're going to move on to, we're going to do verse four through eight. And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet for nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. All of these are the beginning of sorrows. Yeah. And there's so much depth to all these questions. Obviously I can't give a full explanation, but I do that in the video series. Um, I have an audio series. You can go through it and you'll get all those answers. And so you look to two things. You look to scripture to confirm it. So what happened in Acts, yeah. right? Primarily, because that's the transition period. Um, that's the next years, you know, after these events. Um, and you look at Jewish historian Josephus. And so, you know, when you look at it, that, that like you look at Bar-Jesus. So that's one of the characters in Acts 13. It says, when they had gone through the Isle of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. So false prophets, right? So we have, there's different examples, but that's a good one. Um, and, and Josephus documents these these false prophets which were arising because of course Satan wanted to stir up false prophets because you have the true one, right? The holy one who died and rose again. And so you got to discredit that. So there was false prophets. There was wars around them as the Roman uh, empire was conquering nations around them. There was wars, there was documentation, even in scripture of famine. I think, I forget, I think it's an accident. And they were trying to collect funds 
for the saints in a particular area because there was famine because of earthquakes and stuff like that. So it kind of cut off food supplies and stuff. So all those things that, I mean, I know we look today and we go, there's wars, there's earthquakes, there's famine, all that stuff. I get that we apply it to today, but all those things can be accounted for in the first century. And it really at the early part of the first century. And, and you just have to read, Josephus was a guy, he was a Jewish historian. And actually he was part of the Jewish military. And he was fighting battles in the area of Galilee against the Romans who were coming, you know, against them. And he got captured and he had favor because he had a role to play. And so he had favor with the Vespasian who became emperor. So he told Vespasian, you're going to be emperor. And Vespasian's like, yeah, okay, thanks. You know, thanks for that. And then when Vespasian became emperor, he's like, okay, I'm putting this guy in a place so he put him in a place where he could witness all the things, all the events. He was with the Romans on the Mount of Olives and in that area, and he witnessed the whole narrative. So he he gives you the whole history of the church. He gives you the events of the Olivet Discourse and how it was fulfilled. Yep. And I think that we have to remember, too, um, and this goes back to Daniel, um, and it's about what is to come of his people, the Jews, Daniel's people. It's what's to right. come of the Jewish, Jewish nation. So right. then... Moving on verse, let's do nine through 14 says, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold, but he who endures till the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations. And then the end will come. Right. So, and, and, and the key to keep in mind is Messiah is talking to his disciples. He's saying, this is what you're going to see, not a future generation, not anybody else. This is what you're going to see. And so we can read the narrative of Acts and we see that they were delivered up yeah. by the Jews to councils, right? They were beaten. They were forbidden. They were flogged. They were, you know, some were killed. Um, we can read history um, and see that took place. All the disciples were killed by a violent death except for John. So was that fulfilled by them? They were delivered up to councils and beaten because they were proclaiming the gospel. That was fulfilled. Um, and you have to keep in mind, like his followers had no idea that that'd be like a 2000 year time break between yeah. when he left and when he returned. And they didn't have the new Testament scriptures in their hands to understand, you know, revelation, second Thessalonians. So they actually expected them to return in, you know, in the first or soon in that generation. Um, so we just have to keep that in mind as far as false prophets misleading people. Um, you know, in the end, he's talking about the end shall come. And it's really interesting because the whole thing points to the Jewish Roman war of 66 to 70 AD. And there is an end when major events happen. And so he's pointing to that end. Um, you know, and, and it was just, it was just tough. So he, when he says, you know, false prophets and love, grows cold and all those things he's pointing to they really wanted their messiah to return and he hadn't returned and what's taken him so long and um but the gospel you know and that's a key thing and and i'll give a couple verses but you know this is a key sticking point it says and the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world and people go well it hasn't been preached to all the countries in the world yet so obviously it's about the end times here's the problem you have to, you have to use scripture to validate scripture right so Romans 1.8, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Okay. Right. And remember, you got to keep something in mind. 
the world of prophecy at this point is the Roman Empire. It's not the whole yeah. globe. It's not everything. It's not every continent and nation. It's the Roman Empire because that's the world of prophecy fulfillment. Romans 10, 18. But I say, have they not heard the gospel? Barely, yes. Their sound went into all the earth and their words unto the end of the world. So he's using the same language, right? Colossians 1, 23. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, right? So you look at those verses, and it's, it's telling you that by the time Romans and Colossians were written, that the gospel had been proclaimed throughout the whole world of the Roman Empire. So it answers that question in context, wow. right? So, so you, good. Yeah. It, is. it is really <laughs> wow. good. Like once you dig in and you can see that, um, in context of scripture. So, and then when it says, and the end, and then the end will come, it's the end of the Jewish nation. Yeah. It's, it's the end of what their, their nation as they knew it. Um, if you, if you destroy this city and you destroy the temple, you destroy their nation. Yeah. Right. I mean, what do you have? You don't have anything. Right. So. Yep. Okay. We're going to get into a good verse, <laughs> verse oh. 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. And we're going to stop just with that, that one verse, because this is what so many people are waiting for, right? To see this antichrist stand in a third temple, sacrifice a pig, like take worship as, as God, but break this down for us. Well, Matthew, the gospel of Matthew was written primarily to Jews. And they would understand the reference to the little horn of Daniel 8, which is Grecian leader. And I always kill this guy's name, but it's Antiochus Epiphanes, right? So he was called the little horn. The great horn was Alexander the Great. Yeah. Yeah. The little horn was Antiochus. So he brought his army to Jerusalem to take it captive for 2,300 days, right? So every Jew knows this story, right? So they understand. It ended when the Maccabeans overcame them. And they took control of the temple and they cleansed it. And this is what Hanukkah, the Feast of Lights, is all about. Every Jew knows what the Feast of Lights is. Every Jew knows what Hanukkah is. So they know exactly what an abomination of desolation is. It's when a pagan Roman army, or when a pagan army, I should say, is sent to take Jerusalem captive. Right? So they understood that. But Luke was written primarily to Gentiles who would not understand the reference to the Gentile army surrounding Jerusalem to take it captive. So he gave the definition and he gives, gives it in Luke. And that's why it's so important to read all the gospels. Yeah. So Luke 20, uh, 1, 20 to 21, he tells you that when you see Jerusalem surrounded by an army, right? Standing yeah. where they shouldn't be. They shouldn't be standing. Why would an army be there? They shouldn't be there. But he says, when you see that happen, then you need to flee. Use the exact same language. Then you need to flee Judea to the mountains for safety. So he there's no reason to guess. There's no reason to speculate. We already got the definition. We use the scriptural definition. And so the abomination of desolation took place in November 66, when Cestius and his army were sent to quell the Jewish rebellion because they were acting up. I think they maybe had killed some Roman soldiers or something. So they were sent to quell the rebellion. And they penetrated, there's three walls of the city. They penetrated through the first two of the city. They surrounded the upper city, which is where the temple is. Um, some Jews wanted to surrender they wanted to open the gates for cestius and let them in and surrender but that would have protected the city and the temple and so the rebels that were in the city killed those jews who tried to surrender right 
um, if Cessius, if you read Josephus, he says if Cessius would have just continued, if he would have just persisted, he would have taken it captive. But again, that would have preserved the temple and, and desolations were already determined from Daniel 9.26. So um, Cessius and his army, for no explained reason to us, left. They just left, right? And so obviously the reason is, is that the Heavenly Father had decreed that desolations were going to occur and you're not going to save it. Um, so that in, that the, the Jewish rebels were like emboldened. They're like thinking God is for us. God has just protected us. How would you not think that? So they chased after the army of Cestius. And in one of the valleys, they killed thousands of soldiers and they stole, stole some of their military equipment. And that obviously incited Nero, who sent three strong legions to take the city captive. Right. So you had you had Cestius. You could have surrendered, but you didn't. Right. And now three strong legions of the Roman army are coming against you. And so the thing is, is that the armies weren't the only threat to the saints. Um, it was the Jewish rebels inside of Jerusalem also. So when they were out chasing after the army, the disciples obviously saw the abomination of desolation. Here's the thing. If it was if it was the Antichrist in the temple, in the inner chamber, desecrating the temple, would the Jews see that? No. Would everybody in the world see that? No. But every every Jew knew that the city of Jerusalem was surrounded. They knew that was the abomination. So the believers took the opportunity to flee Jerusalem to the east side and the north of Jerusalem in the mountains of Pella in the Decapolis region, where they were protected from the upcoming Jewish-Roman War of 66 to 70 AD. So they saw the abomination of desolation. They fled just like Messiah said, and they were there for safety during the whole calamity. Right? Yeah. Easy yeah. as that. i know it's crazy but it really is that easy of a story i mean i love i love understanding that yes matthew was written to jews so they knew what this was um and as gentiles you know for those of us who didn't know what it was looking to luke 21 verse 20 but when you see jerusalem surrounded by armies you know that desolation is near that's exactly what it is um and i love the reference to daniel um and I love that you cannot say that because neither can I. And we did a Daniel study um, the past few months. And every time, every week I would go to say epiphanies the I have to think uh-huh. about it. It's, it's, it's Antiochus. So I d- had to like go to Google, like how to pronounce this, but I would still butcher it every single time. Um, but that's exactly what it is because that's what happens in um, Daniel eight and what this is referencing there referencing is therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, I think also with, with Daniel 12, um, what verse is it? Verse 11. And from that time, the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up. Um, so it's referencing this time. Um, and again, yes, they would totally know what it meant. Right. Yeah, and in that Daniel verse, I just covered it in a video that I published today. So it tells you there's going to be 1,290 days in between the abomination of desolation and the temple sacrifices being stopped. But it it, it gives them to you in reverse order. So it makes you think that the abomination of desolation is going to take place three and a half years after the sacrifices are stopped. But, But basically, it's just giving you the gap in between. The two. It's not saying what the order is. And since we can see that Cestius fulfilled it in November 66, seven, uh, 66 AD, we project forward 1290 years. And then you land in 70 AD, which is exactly when the Romans invaded, flooded into Jerusalem 
and they stopped all things going on in the temple. So they stopped the sacrifice, any sacrifice that would have taken place, they stopped it. So we see the, the gap of the three and a half years. So it's. Yeah. Which is so cool when you look at history. It's so cool. So (laughs) let's look at um, verse 16 through 20. And that says, so this is after they see the abomination of desolation, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop, not go down to take anything out of his house and let him who is in the field, not go back to get his clothes, but woe to to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days and pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. Okay. That gets us through verse 20. So yeah, a lot of people think that, that this passage is about a future time, which never made sense to me. Like this particular thing. I'm like, all right, well, I'm never on the housetop. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. You know, it's really interesting. Um, it says, woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. Remember when Messiah was on his way to the cross, mm-hmm. had been condemned, had been delivered up. He's on his way to the cross. He's like, the women were crying. He's like, don't weep for me, women of Jerusalem. Weep for yourselves and weep for your babes, right? Because why? Because he knew that their children were going to face this time of great tribulation. So it, it matches up. Um, but all those verses, look at what it says. Then let them which be in Judea flee to the mountains. Do we live in Judea? No. Does Judea exist anymore? No. Judea stopped existing in 132, I believe it is. The, the, there was another rebellion by the Jews. The Romans squashed that rebellion, and they were so tired of this that they're like, we're even just going to rename the whole thing, and they renamed it Syria-Palestinia, right? So the, so the name Judea went away in the second century. So we don't live in Judea. So it, how, how would it apply to us? Um we don't live on housetops. So, so in their culture, they had housetops where they would have living quarters up on the housetops. They could go to pray, they could whatever, relax, you know, whatever. So they had housetops, but here's the thing. Look at what it's saying. Don't, don't, don't come down into the house for anything. So the housetops were connected by a terrace system, which was like a a freeway or a fast way to the outside city, part of the city gate. Right. So, so what Messiah is telling you is in your Judean house, don't come down in the house because it could be dangerous there. Don't go in the street and try to get out of the city that way because it could be dangerous there. You need to take the, the terrace walkway to the city gates and get out of there, right? So that doesn't apply to us, right? So the house stops matches up totally. Um, everything lines up totally. Um, he says, don't do it on the Sabbath day. Well, does that apply to us? Is anybody going to prevent this thing from happening on the Sabbath day? Does that impact us at all? No. But it directly impacted them because the Jewish leaders would have had the gates, city gates shut on the Sabbath day. You, you didn't go outside the city on the Sabbath day. So pray it doesn't happen on the Sabbath day because you can't get out. Directly applies to all those people in Judea, right? So it's just a way to map it out through the first century, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I wanna just pause this episode real quick to invite you to the 2023 Rooted Conference. On November 3rd and 4th, we will be hosting our first ever conference in Phoenix, Arizona, and we would love to get to know you. Our topic this year is how to live in modern day Babylon as a believer. In today's world, what are you doing to store up treasures in heaven? How are you occupying for the kingdom of God while living in what feels like modern day Babylon? As Christ followers, we are called to be salt and light in the dark world while advancing the kingdom. We do that first by understanding and truly knowing scripture. So are you committed to being in the word of God daily? 
Join us for the Rooted Conference as we dig in to what it means to occupy while living in enemy territory, all while speaking truth in love. Join myself, Amy Eyes on the Right, Lori Remnant Rising, and Dr. Laura Sanger as we dive into these biblical truths for an amazing weekend. You can check it out and all the information at www.therootedtruth.com slash retreats. You can also check the show notes of this episode and the link will be there. We hope to meet you in person November 3rd and 4th, 2023. So then the next couple of verses for then there will be great tribulation such has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh will be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Break that down for us. Yeah. So a lot of people will go, well, they point to the Holocaust, they point to other events, and they're talking about numbers, the, the number of people that were killed. But that's not what Messiah is talking about. Messiah is talking about the sheer horror of the scene. And I can't do any justice to this topic. Um, it's in the book. It's in the videos. Listen to them. You go through what Josephus documented about what took place, because basically the Jew, the Romans surrounded the city, just like Messiah said, they're going to circle you and they're going to cast a trench around you. And they cut off their food supplies. The Jews, Jewish rebels. Well, let me preface this. Let me go back. The, the, the Romans started on the coast cities, right? They came into the coast and they came in the coast cities and they attacked towns there. Then they came into Galilee and they were attacking Jewish towns there. So they killed many Jews. But what happened is all the rebels from those places fled to Jerusalem because it was a place of wild cities and protection. So what you had was an environment where you had a bunch of really bad characters, Jewish rebels. And not only that, they weren't even playing for the same team, meaning they were all vying for for supremacy. They were all trying to win the battle against each other. So that's what the Jews were up against. So when you talk about the time of great tribulation, they destroyed some of the food supply depots to try to get the Jews so desperate that they would fight against the Romans because most Jews weren't going to fight against the Romans. Um, they fought over food, even taking food out of babe's mouth. They, th there was all sorts of bad things going on. They, the Sakari were there and they would dress in robes and they would have a dagger under their robe and they would slit the throats of the leaders and the priests. And then they would just disappear into the crowd. Um, they were, they were just killing each other. And so you had all this death during this whole time, people in Jerusalem would bury the people outside the city, like towards the Mount of Olives. You see that there's all sorts of crypts and stuff. That's where you bury them. Well, the Roman army's out there, so you can't bury them. So all these dead bodies are being stacked up around Jerusalem or they're being thrown over the city walls into the valleys around it. So now you have this, I mean, when you have death, then you have pestilence and you have all these, you just have all the things that were described that he just described, you know, uh, it's just horrible, horrible scenario. And, and, the, and the crazy part is, is that half the deaths, 1.1 million Jews died during the three and a half years, but half of those people died at the hands of other Jews, right? From civil wars, infighting, famine, all the different things they snuck out, um, people that snuck out to try to find food were captured by the Romans, tortured, and crucified. Josephus documents that at one point they were killing five or crucifying 500 people a day. So obviously there's not enough trees and you know crosses to fill it. So they were putting multiple bodies on every tree. And so these people were, were moaning and groaning and they were they weren't put to death like the 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 two on the cross with Messiah, right? 
because they had a preparation day and all that Sabbath coming up. So they took them down. But here they just left them up. And so Jerusalem is surrounded by all these people on the cross, on the trees, dead. And they didn't take them down. They just stayed there as a witness of, yeah, you don't want to come out here. Right. That's it. Like, like some of the Jews would put gold coins. They try to sneak out to put gold coins in their mouth to swallow it, to preserve it. So when they snuck out, they'd have a gold coin to be able to buy some to, to, to have a life. Well, when they were, some of them were found to be recapturing the gold coins, then some of the army uh, found that out. And so they started eviscerating Jews, gutting them to see in their bowels that they had gold coins. So, so, and, and this is all disgusting and it's all gross. And there's animals and birds feeding on their flesh. The smell, the visual is horrifying. And, and like I said, there's so much more to the story. But the point I'm making is that, that this wasn't about numbers. This is just about the small city of Jerusalem. It's so much smaller than it is today. You're talking about 1.1 million people dead. That's, 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 that's horrifying. You know, when, they, when the Jews came in, there was bodies everywhere, but they came in and with the sword, they killed hundreds of thousands of Jews. They had to step over other dead bodies to get to the live people to kill them. So, so again, it's disgusting. It's horrible to think about, but this is what Messiah is talking about, right? This is the horror that it, it, it will never happen again. You'll never see that kind of, there are millions of people who have been killed in wars and this and that, but you will never see that concentrated form of evil ever. So, Yeah. And, and that, phrase nor ever shall be implies that there has to there's there's time after that right so if it's at the end times you know if we're waiting for this time period and then the day of the lord everything's done right there won't be time after that yeah so luke luke his, his version he says these are the days of vengeance for all things which are written may be fulfilled daniel 9 26 but woe unto them that are with child and them that give suck in those days. There shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people, the unbelieving Jews, and they shall fall by the edge of the sword by the Romans in 70 AD. They will be led away captive into all nations. 97 people, Jews were uh, captured and sold as slaves. Um, Jerusalem shall be trodden down by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Well, the Gentiles is not some future dispensation period. The Gentiles is the Romans. The Romans trod down Jerusalem and they destroyed it. That was the time of the Gentiles. So it's, you know, you, you when you see that, then you go, oh, wow, I'm not misled about the time of the Gentiles being a dispensation period. You're like, no, it's just talking about the Romans coming to surround your city and lead towards your desolation. Yeah. Right. Yep. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I, I love reading the work of um, Josephus as well that you have in the book, because he yeah. was witness to all of this. So yeah. it, it is horrifying. It is horrifying. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a lot to, worse than what I just said. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's go on to the next five verses starting in 23. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or there, do not believe it for false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it for as lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west. So also will the coming of the son of man be for wherever the carcass is there, the eagles will be gathered. Yeah. So the unbelieving Jews didn't accept Messiah and they were still waiting for one. 
But they were waiting for a Messiah who was going to help them uh, uh, overthrow the Roman oppression. So he wasn't their style of Messiah. So they're still waiting. Um, so they were kind of right for false Christ and all that stuff. Um, the false Christ, and, and again, Josephus, you know, documents this, the false Christ did appear in the desert in different places and said, oh, yeah, come out here. And I think 3000 people went out into the desert. They followed after him and this and that. And I think they ended up getting killed by the Romans. Right. So a false Christ led you out in the desert and then you got killed by the Romans. Um, so he documents all that stuff happening. Um, what's really interesting is Josephus recorded that the Roman army approached Jerusalem from the east. So it's talking about from the east. Well, they approached from the east, which is where if you look at a map, that's where Mount of Olives is. So they came in that way, um, which overlooks the city. And that's really like feeding because Messiah proclaimed his all of that discourse about the destruction of Jerusalem from that very location. So the, from the very location, he gave the Olivet Discourse and said, this is going to be desolated. There's the Roman army camped out on that mountain, causing the desolation. So you can't even kind of make the stuff up. Um, they were The Romans were used by him. And so when it talks about um, the coming of the Son of Man, right? Mm-hmm. So it's talking about the coming of the Son of Man. It's talking about Messiah coming in judgment. Because they delivered him up in order to try to preserve their nation. But he flipped the whole script on them. And he caused, so he, he was trying, because they knew if he continued on the path he was in of healing people, raising people from the dead, the Romans were going to help, were going to come and overthrow them. So they delivered him up to preserve their nation. But then he used the Romans to overthrow them. So the yeah. whole script, you know, came around. Um, so he used them to execute wrath on the judgments. What's really interesting, because it refers to, um, it refers to lightning, right? For as lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even into the west. Well, this stuff you can't even make up, right? The Romans were used, they were used by Messiah. Um, one of the legions, so there's three strong legions. One of the legions that Titus used to attack Judea was Roman Legion uh, 12, which was called the Thunderbolt 12th Legion. Like, like you're talking about, he's sitting there pointing to lightning coming from the east to the west to destroy the jewish nation and here's the legion called the thunderbolt 12th legion right and it it talks about an eagle and a carcass and so corrupt wicked unbelieving jerusalem was the carcass and the eagle was the romans because they had eagles on their standards just like they still do right you look at a roman standard it's got an eagle so he talks about an eagle coming for the carcass there's the romans right so history, yeah. history is amazing. <laughs> it is. And the coming of the son of man. Well, actually, I w- let's let's wait because that's coming yeah. in the other verses right. Right. here um, as we get into like on the clouds <laughs> and all of that. So getting ahead of myself. Okay, verse 29 through 31. So we're going to wrap up this part of like the Olivet Discourse because then he gets into parables. So we're going to kind of ends with, with this passage, but this one, this passage is deep. Um, so immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then the sun, the sign of the son of man will appear in heaven and all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the, of heaven to the other. So let's first start out with, okay. People say, we're going to see this, that 
literally the sun in the sky will be darkened. Um, right. the, the moon will be dark and we will see stars falling from heaven, that this is a literal thing. Walk us through what this means biblically. Well, and it's, and it's when you take prophecy fulfillment literally, then you think it's the literal sun, moon, and stars. But that's not how Messiah taught us in his parables. He didn't say literal things. He gave figurative speech. And so he used symbols that are defined in the Old Testament. And you can even look to the, uh, the, um, the narrative of Joseph and his family. And he had a dream. Yep. And he had a dream. And he basically said the sun, moon, and 11 stars right, are going to make obeisance to me. They're going to bow to me. And his dad's like, what? You're telling me that I, the sun, your mom, the moon, and your 11 brothers, the 11 stars are going to bow to you? So what did he just do? He just gave it as a perfect example of heavenly bodies symbolizing leadership structure. Um, and there's different examples in the book and video, but Isaiah 11, 9 to 10 gives us an example of this as it applies it's applying to the fall of the Babylonian leadership. So it says the same thing. It's about the it's, it says about the sun, moon, and stars being darkened in Isaiah 13. Well, obviously that didn't happen. It was pointing to the fall of the Babylonian Empire. So it, there's there's different examples in history that that just represents the darkening of a leadership structure. So in this case, in 70 A.D., all the Jews were either killed or they were captured and sold as slaves. So the Jewish high priest, the sun. The Sanhedrin, the moon, which reflects the sun, right? And the priests, the stars, were either killed or taken captive during that war. So effectively, the Jewish nation was dark. The leadership was darkened, effectively ended, right? And then and that gets, well, it gets really deep because, you know, then then, then everything points to, to Messiah, right? Because he is our high priest, right? And we are the yeah. priests. And so the old went away and then the new, you know, goes forward. Yep, so absolutely. Talking about. So it's not about the end times. And you'll see it again in Revelation. You know, the, the, it's talking about the sun, moon, and stars. And again, in Revelation, it's not talking about the literal sun, moon, and stars. It's talking about Roman leadership losing power. Yeah, which is so cool. And I'm going to give you guys just some verses to go look up on your own about this too. Um, David has this in his book, and I'm looking at page 84 and 85, um, Isaiah 13, 10, Isaiah 13, 15 through 17. Luke 21, 25, um, Revelation 17, 15, Daniel 7, 13 and 14. You guys go look this stuff up because yeah. And the story of Joseph, which is in Genesis and his dream. So go look this stuff up because it's in there. It's in the Bible. It's in the old Testament. It tells us. So right. then with verse 30, then the sign of the son of man will appear in, he in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. This right here, people say, this is when Jesus returns. Absolutely. And, and, and you get it. I mean, I totally understand. I mean, I, I, I thought that for the longest time. I mean, it, it seems clear sun and moon and dark and, and here's, here comes Messiah and, and it all makes sense, but you have to think about context. When when you take Messiah at his word and he says all these things will take place in this generation. And when you go through the previous verses and you find out that all of those things happen in that generation, then we got We have to look at how this, you know, uh, came to fulfillment. So like coming on the clouds in the Old Testament, again, <laughs> means you'll see references to the father coming on the clouds. It means he's coming in judgment of a people group. So he's coming on the clouds uh, in great glory, but it, it, he's judging. And so that it's referring to Messiah judging the unbelieving Jewish nation. So he 
right, is coming in power and glory. He's coming in judgment of those who rejected him. The earth, again, is the land of Judea, not the whole world. Um, in the Old Testament, like I said, it means judgment. Um, he was basically proclaiming that he was going to bring judgment against them, which exactly, that's Matthew 23, right? He said, judgment's coming upon you, right? That's the whole gist coming upon you in this generation. Well, that's judgment. Um, when Messiah was before the Jewish high priest, um, and, and, and the high priest was questioning him, he wasn't really talking much. And then Mark 14, 62 says, and Jesus said, I am. So he's, he's like, are you the Christ? You know, are you the son? Are you the Christ? He says, and Jesus said, I am. And ye, the high priest, not anybody else, ye shall see the son of man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Right. Was the Messiah mistaken about that? Of course not. Did the, did the, did the high priest of Jerusalem see him come in power and glory? Yes, he did. But it's not referring to his return. The high priest saw him flip the script caused the Roman army to desolate the Jewish nation. So, and it talks about them mourning um, and the earth shall mourn, the tribes of the earth shall mourn. Well, the house of Israel, the house of Judah had kind of regathered into the Judean region. So the unbelieving house of Israel mourned during the Jewish Roman war of 66 to 70 AD, the time, the time of horror for the Jewish nation. So they, they mourn and, and I'm sure they fully understood when they're in Jerusalem and they're dying from famine, pestilence, this and that, I'm sure they fully understood that this was judgment from on high, right? Because the Messiah they delivered up to be killed was pouring it out on them. So that's all it's talking about. Again, figurative language pointing to Messiah executing his judgment. And isn't that fair? <laughs> right? <laughs> right? And the thing is, and I don't have time to go into it, but it's in the book and stuff um, or the videos. Messiah told many parables. And he said, you know, like the, the parable of the wedding. And you wouldn't you wouldn't join with me. You wouldn't join with me. You wouldn't join with me. And it and, and points to things like the city is going to be burned down. He points to people who would not serve him as king. They points to the vine dressers and they delivered the messengers and then they killed the son. And he basically said, what's going to happen? And he says, those people will be destroyed every single time. And all those parables. He, Messiah is pointing to the judgment of the Jewish people. He's not pointing to some weird story he's saying because you've rejected me as your king because you've not joined me with me and in, 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 as your bridegroom right and, and you won't be a part of the wedding you're going to be judged you're going to be killed and it says even one of the parables says come and slay them before me okay he's talking about the jews and the jews knew it because they then they they knew it and they knew they were he was speaking about them and they sought to kill him all the more right but did they not get slayed before him Jews got killed, right? Your whole city and temple destroyed. So the whole context of the gospels, you know, Messiah yeah. rebuking them and, and, and given the parables leads up to this culmination. And, and, and here's the amazing thing. You know, people, futurists, pastors, like if you read Josephus, if you read any historian and you see the horror of what happened against the Jewish nation, first of all, they don't really teach about it. Which, why would you not? This is a significant moment in history. But not only that, but they don't assign any prophecy to it. How is that even possible? Right? They don't assign any prophecy to it. They're not assigning the 70 weeks of Daniel to it. They're not assigning the Olivet Discourse to it. It's odd. Because it's yeah. such a profound moment in time that the unbelieving Jewish nation was done away with. And yeah. the kingdom of Messiah was built on believing Jews and believing Gentiles. Right? Yeah. So. yeah.
And I mean, even just that phrase coming on the clouds, like we automatically think like, well, that's when he returns, it's going to come on the clouds. We're going to go up to meet him in the clouds. But again, if you're listening, I want you guys to look up some of these verses, Isaiah 19, one, Zephaniah one, four, Ezekiel 31 through four, Jeremiah four, 12 through 13. Um, look those up because it goes through it and, and you dive into that on page 216 and 217 of your book. Um, so let me add one thing. Yeah. And you'll remember this from the book, but there was actually visions around Judea in the heavens witnessed by Josephus Sicidius or whatever, another Jewish historian. And I think one other guy. So three historians at the time, firsthand witnesses witnessed in the heavens. They didn't see Messiah, but they witnessed chariots, Horses and chariots circling Judea, right? So this is a visual. So just now you now you think about, you know, in the clouds of heaven coming in power and glory. And now you think about this vision that they all witnessed that these chariots were circling yeah. because this, this is a huge event because judgment was coming against the unbelieving Jewish nation. They were, they were being desolated because they've been rebellious for so long and they killed all the prophets sent to them, you know, and, and that's a profound visual. Yep. Right? And they saw they, that in the skies, right? Like yeah, they looked up yeah, and there's accounts yeah. of that. Wow. Right. Yeah, it wasn't Messiah returning. It was just a heavenly vision of judgment is coming upon this nation. Right. Wow. Okay, verse 31. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. And this is one of those obvious verses that people go, well, obviously that's talking about the end times. But again, I'll appeal to, you know, in the next, what, 34, 35, Messiah says all these things take place in this generation. I, you know, not one word will pass away, you know? So, so what, so what's going on here? You have two types of Jews. You have those who believe the Messiah who saw the abomination of desolation in 66, November 66 AD, they fled to the mountains of Pella and they were living there for three and a half years during the Jewish Roman war of 66 to 70 AD. Well, obviously that war came to an end. Most of the Roman army left. So now it's, now it's an all clear, you know, they sent spies in. they knew it was all clear. They knew it was safe. And so it's a mountainous region. You think about Colorado, you think about anything, and you have this mountainous region, and people are established because they've been there three and a half years. And so how would you call an assembly? Well, how did they call assemblies in the Old Testament? They, t- they said to blow a trumpet because you gather people together, and that's what this is pointing to. So look at, when you look at the word angels, and all you have to do is look, do a verse study. So Luke 9.52 uh, says, you know, Messiah says, and sent messengers, Agalos, which is the Greek word for angels. So, and sent messengers before his faith, and they went and they entered into the village of Samaritans to make ready for him. So, the messengers were probably James and John. So, so angels, Agalos, can point to messengers. It can point to the disciples in that case. So, angels doesn't mean heavenly angels. And you can, and there's other examples um, in the Bible about the word messenger, which is the same word angel, Agalos. Um, and it's pointing to leaders in the church. So what happened? They blew the trumpet. The leaders of the church called an assembly, right, to organize these people and, and to map out a plan. And basically some returned to Jerusalem to minister to people who would return there, even though it was destroyed. Some stayed in Pella to continue ministry there. And then the rest spread out in the Roman Empire to proclaim the gospel to 
gather in the elect into the kingdom to proclaim the gospel and you know when when disciples so it's just again it's it, on the surface it, you know once you see the explanation of the other verses then you see this and you go well that makes perfect logical sense yeah. um, that they're just going to blow a trumpet and then all those people are going to be gathered together to go to move forward after the war yeah, absolutely. And I like that you referenced um, Matthew 24, 34 and 35. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. That's verse 34. What what was a generation in in Bible times? <laughs> 40 years. Yeah. And, and so people stretch it out and they go, oh, it's 50 or 60 or 70 or whatever. They try to apply it to the establishment of the state of Israel. 1948 then they go oh 40 years well it didn't happen so it must be yep. 50 no it didn't happen again so it's 60 70 and what are we at 70 whatever 80 i don't know where we're at so no it's 40 years and, and you can validate that you know through scripture as far as the the lineage that's given so think about it messiah gave the olivet discourse in 31 ad right right before he died he gave the olivet discourse and so um add 40 years you're at 71 ad what took place during the previous three and a half years, right? All those things, temple destroyed, Jewish nation judged, all the things of famine, pestilence, you know, abomination of desolation, they were all fulfilled in that generation. And the thing to pay attention to and another sticking, another way to cue people up, I guess, is the, the, the nine previous times that the word generation is used in Matthew, go just go do a word search. Look at all the verses and every single time the word generation applies to the Jews of that, of Messiah's ministry. So then when you get to Matthew 23, there's the Jews and he condemned them and said, judgment's coming upon you in this generation. So it's only logical to apply this verse. He's saying all these things are going to happen in this generation, right? Yeah, yeah. It's real, yeah, it's real yeah. simple to, to see. You have to make excuses to apply it to the end times. Right? I mean, yep. I was raised totally believing that. Because I would never dig in for myself. Like it was like, okay, I sat in church and this is what I'm taught. But right. but I think that um we would be remiss if we didn't tie this more so to Daniel 12. And without going into Daniel, um, like I said, we did just get done with a Daniel study. So it's up on on the website, therootedtruth.com. But the time of trouble, Jacob's trouble, this is the Jewish Roman war. And I want to point out the time times and half a time, because this particular part for me, I was just kind of blown away um, where Daniel's saying, well, Hey, what, what is, you know, what's the time frame per se of, of all of this. So he's being right. told what's going to happen to the Jewish nation, to the people. And um, it says that it shall be for a time times and half a time. And when the power of the holy people have has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. The time times and half a time, the three and a half years, this is the part that literally sealed the deal for me, that the Jewish Roman war is three and a half years. We are right. taught this right. in school. Like, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. so, so well, it goes back to, again, Daniel's told you're going to be released go, to go rebuild the city and the temple. Two verses later, he's told the temple and city are going to be destroyed. So he's distraught. So he wants more information. Daniel 12 is the more information. It's the answer to his prayer. What's going to happen to my people? Because yeah. he knows there's a remnant, right? He knows there's a remnant and then there's the rest, right? So the first verse, and at that time, Michael uh, shall stand up the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was. It's the same language as Matthew 24. Time of trouble such as never was 
uh, since there was a nation even to that same time. But here's the key. And at that time, thy people shall be delivered, everyone that should be found written in the book. Now think about that. Like, like Daniel knows that the city and temple are going to be destroyed because the Jews delivered Messiah up to be cut off, killed. But he's just been told that those who believe in Messiah, those who Jews who are written in the book of life, they're going to be saved from this time of calamity that's coming upon the Jewish nation. Right. So 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 again, in, in a in the in the current series of 17th of Daniel I'm going through, there's there's two types of Jews, and it's those living by the Mosaic covenant and those who believe in Messiah through the who confirm the everlasting covenant. So it's pointing to that. So so Daniel's reassured now the remnant's going to be saved through the calamity. And he goes to it and and you look at Daniel 12, 4. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. So he's saying the book's going to be shut up from the eyes of the unbelieving Jews so that the Jews don't understand this prophecy, so that they can't understand that after the abomination of desolation in November 66, that they should flee. You see, they would know that. They would know what the abomination is. It's going to give you three and a half year timeline between the abomination of desolation and the desolation of the, of the nation. Well, if a Jew understood that, they would know to flee and they would not be killed or judged, right? But it was sealed from their eyes. So it's not about being sealed till the end times. It was just sealed from the Jews' eyes. And even Messiah said that. He said, if only you would have known the time of my visitation, but now it's been hidden from your eyes. You can't understand it. You can't comprehend it. And that's, and like you said, right there, it gives the three and a half year time of tribulation. It tells you from the abomination of November 66 until the end in 70 AD, that's the time frame, three and a half years, the, the holy people, the Jews, um, are going to be desolated. And, and, and it's just that whole, and, and the time of the end is basically the end of the Jewish nation at the end of the war. So um, wow. it, it's just, when you see, yeah, when you see the relationship, and that's why I'm going through a three-part series on Daniel 9, Daniel 12, and the Olivet Discourse, when you see the connection in the similar language, you're like, of course those are related. Of course they're about the same things, but we're not taught that. We're taught it's all about the end times. Yep. Yep. So yeah, if if we're not waiting for a third temple, if we're not waiting for an antichrist to stand up as the abomination of desolation to sacrifice a pig on the altar, all of that, what are what would you say just briefly, what are we waiting for? What's next? Well, let me preface that question with that because the enemy has built up this false narrative, they have to reinforce it. So in other words, you have to create the state of Israel because you have to have a state of Israel you you know to to have a place for the temple to be rebuilt and all that stuff so you build the narrative of okay here's israel and then now in the last whatever every every year they're like oh yeah we're going to be at the temple oh we found the perfect red heifer oh we got the instruments ready oh this and that and so they give the pretense that they're going to rebuild the temple because they have to prop up the narrative that it's going to be rebuilt so that the antichrist can enter it desecrate it all that stuff so they build up you know the pretense so are you asking what we can expect because that's because those prophecies are future? Or? Yeah. I mean, so I, what I tell my people in Bible study, I'm like, I don't think that there'll be a third temple built. I think God will crush it down. But then my friend Lori, she's like, oh no, I think they're going to do it. They're going to do it. Um, so what would you say about like, do you think that they'll actually succeed in building a temple? Well, at one point, I wish I could remember, um, I think the seventh century, sixth century, I forget, but but they actually tried to start rebuilding the temple and like fireballs or whatever came down and burned that thing up. Really? 
Oh yeah, that was actually an attempt. I can't remember that. I should know the story, but yeah, they, they actually some people just said, you know what, we're going to start working on this, wow. and it was burnt up, and they haven't tried again. The thing is, is that 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 like Second Thessalonians is the first. They go, well, the son of perdition, the man of sin, is going to enter, you know, the temple of God and proclaim to be God and all those things. But here's the question you really ask yourself: If we rebuild the temple, where they start up animal sacrifices, which are a blasphemous rejection of the one-time atonement of our Messiah, would that really be called the temple of God? <laughs> no, that's a wicked temple. You know what I'm saying? So. So, yeah, I don't, I don't see the temple being rebuilt. I don't think that the father would allow that. They're going to give every pretense that it's going to happen. They position people as, you know, potential antichrist. They're going to create their narrative, but I don't see it being rebuilt um, yeah. ever. And, and, and again, the same, I mean, think about, I mean, you could build a temple on Roman Antonia Fortress, but it's not in the right place, right? Yeah, Bring us true. full circle a little bit, you know, there's not even the Temple Mount. You could, people go, oh, well, they're going to destroy the Dome of the Rock and build the temple. Well, you can, but that's still Roman Antonia Fortress. It's not where the temple was. There's actually a road south of, if you ever look at a map, um, there's a road south of where Antonia Fortress was, and that road goes right through where the temple used to be. They actually have a street, people driving on the very place that the temple used to be. Wow. That's crazy. Wow. That is. (laughs) So yeah, you guys, I hope that you have learned something in this. Um, And even if you're questioning, even if you're struggling, like, oh, you know, is this really the case? (laughs) Dig in, pray about it. I really encourage you to read um, David's books, the Olivet Discourse Decoded and the 70th Week of Daniel Decoded. Those two are paramount, I think, to understanding this, um, what happened in, in the Jews' history that again, we aren't taught, um, before you dive into revelation. So read those before you dive into, to revelation. Um, but as far as like, you know, people are saying, you know, we have the seven years at the end of time, the 70th week of Daniel, we're still waiting on that's, that's false. That has happened. That was fulfilled with Jesus. Um, and what, what would you say then? What, I guess, what encouragement can you leave the listeners, believers, you know, of, basically not to fear. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Well, that's the beauty about knowing prophecy fulfillment because all the thought that stories that people have made up about projecting it into a future and a future time of great tribulation and all that stuff, that's all false. And so basically it's not to mean that it's going to be easy until Messiah comes back. Cause it's probably going to get harsh in this world, but it's just to say that all the times of great tribulation in which were foretold in the Olivet discourse, Daniel 12, uh, you know, um, and then Revelation, those have already been fulfilled during the last 2000 years. And, and so the, how to say it. So when you understand that most of Revelation, most of the prophecies in Revelation have been fulfilled during the last 1900 century, because it started right after Messiah gave the vision to John and it's been in process for 1900 years. Most of it's been fulfilled. So all the scary stories that people give you are false. There's just made up narratives about, you know, locusts attacking and scorpions attacking and all this stuff. It's all a false narrative that's already been fulfilled. There, those, those were symbols pointing to a literal fulfillment on the timeline. So the events happen, but it's not what anybody has ever been, you know, really taught in this end times generation. But it, it's what the historians believe for 1800 years. So, you know, the assurance is the reward, I guess, if you will, is you actually, you know, Messiah says up front, you know, blessed is he that understands, you know, this prophecy and revelation. And when you understand 70th of Daniel, it's about Messiah. 
when you understand the Olivet Discourse, when you understand the fulfillment of Revelation, you get tangible evidence for your faith. You look back through history and you go, wow, all these prophecies which were foretold were fulfilled in exacting detail. And that just validates my faith. Not that I don't believe without it, but it just gives you tangible evidence of the faith. It gives you validation of the Bible that you can believe it and trust it because it foretold it. It gives you validation or just uh, uh, for Messiah's deity. I mean, Messiah foretold the Olivet Discourse. Everything came true in that generation. He foretold Revelation. Those things, most of them have been fulfilled in exacting detail, right? So you just have all this confidence, this peace of knowing it, and you're not deceived. And, and that just right there, not being deceived by all the false prophets that are around today, yeah. teaching mm -hmm. the false explanations, man, that's, that's, worth, that's worth a lot of money. You know, it's the yep. riches in heaven yeah. right there because it's not been shown to a lot of people. So yep. pursue Absolutely. it, you know, and, and don't, just like you alluded to, I mean, um, don't trust my explanations. You know what I'm saying? I mean, don't trust it just because I teach it. Just read the book. Be open. I always tell people, be be open-minded, you know, um, to, to learning. Um, because when you're not, when you think you know the truth, then you block out being able to see things yeah. differently. And yeah. so uh, the books, you know, they're available for free. I give all the books away. You can you can request a, a PDF of the books. I go through video series on seven think of Daniel, Revelation, all of that discourse. So you can go through step by step. How was it fulfilled? I explain that on audio. So, you know, whatever format works for you, go through it, pray about it, go through it and, and study it out and prove it out for yourself. Yeah, right? absolutely. And there's nothing to fear, but be ready, be ready for his return. So, <laughs> and like you said, I, you know, I do think it's going to get a little shaky out there. Yeah, Cont yeah continues so yeah but when, when you know where we're on the timeline then you know the context yeah. of messiah's return we don't know yeah. the year yeah. but we know where we're at on the timeline so we know what will happen next as we wait for his return that's really reassuring you know to, yeah. to, to see that so and i explained that in revelation so yeah it is reassuring because the euphrates river is drying up and you guys that's the sixth bowl um, in Revelation. And uh, I know you you have a couple of different videos on your YouTube yeah, channel um, yeah. and podcast about that. So David, where can people find you um, and support you, find the books? I want to say the easiest place, because I have different websites for 73 of Daniel, all that discourse and Revelation. So the easiest place um, for a learning track where you can get links to PDF. Like I, I've created one page summaries of the 73 of Daniel, all that discourse, Revelation. Um, you can request a free copy of the book. You can link to audios, videos, and you can order a printed book. If, if you're, I like, I like printed books because I mark them up, right? Um, all those things are available on BibleProphecyDecoded.com. So it's going to step you through the process, go through the 17th of Daniel first. That's the first section. Then the Olivet Discourse, then Revelation. And, and, and so just walk through it, print up the summaries to get the big picture, download the book, listen to the videos or audios and just step through, you know, one prophecy at a time and, and, and prove it out for yourself. Um, and it just gives you ways, once you get it, then it gives you ways to share it with others, yeah. you know, because it's not your job to explain all of it. Um, it's, it's a tough battle. It's a tough battle even for me. And so that like, I have one page printouts that are summaries, like of the seventh think of Daniel. If you give that one page summary to someone and that doesn't open their eyes, there's probably not much that's going to do it because it, it just gives you enough bullet points that you go, it either wakes you up to go, I should check this out or it doesn't. Yep. Right. And so yep, that's, that, that's the easiest website that people can get access to the resources. Perfect. Bible prophecy decoded. 
com. Check it out. David, thank you. Um, as always, thank you for your time um, joining me and breaking down the majority of Matthew 24 with me. <laughs> <laughs> I have loved it. There's, there's so much more to the story. And that's why I want people to yep. listen to the videos and stuff yes. like that. Because when you see the exacting detail of fulfillment, you just, your mind is blown. So. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. So go check it out. Check out the books. Um, support David head to the website and David, hopefully um, you'll be willing to come back again the next time. I'm like, Ooh, this is, let's talk about this. So I love uh, it. It's a pleasure being on with you. You know, so much. I appreciate your, your zeal for studying Bible prophecy, what you know. So I, you know, I do the work for people like you for searching for truth, praying for it. You know, that's, that's exactly why I'm here. Anytime. I love it. Well, thank you again. And you guys, I will see you next time. Take care.